What's the single best sign that your nonprofit is thriving? A, an engaged board. B, low overhead. C, a dynamic executive director. Or D, none of the above. So what is the best sign that your nonprofit is thriving? Get the answer at thrivingnonprofit.org. That's thrivingnonprofit.org. Hello, and welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. I'm Cindy Pereira. I'm standing in for your host, Joan Gary. Today, you're going to hear a story, and it's true. It's the roller coaster story of a woman who started a nonprofit and for a good while felt completely overwhelmed. She is, was deeply committed to children's theater and the power the arts can have in bringing families together, bringing joy to kids and more profoundly in shaping who kids are, their values, their understanding of core issues around them, and their empathy toward others. When we met in 2017, Nina was writing, directing, had a death grip on finances. Actually, she had a death grip on most things. The one thing she didn't have a grip on at that point was her life. Balancing work and life and the needs of her three small kids and her husband felt nearly impossible. She liked yoga, but she felt like she never had time to practice. She was fiercely determined to get her life back, but not compromising all that she had worked for. So she thought about it, and she hired an executive coach. She set some goals and set out to get her life back. By 2019, her local children's theater had a national footprint. It was more successful than ever. All her efforts had paid off. And she was going to yoga three times a week. She even put her phone away during dinner. But then, like most of us, she was tripped up by COVID. She had to hit a huge pause button. And just for, for a little bit, she was afraid that all the progress she made had been in vain. An entire industry was pressing pause. Did she fold? No. In fact, she did what she had learned to do. Pivot. Focus on her big rocks. Today, she's here to talk about her journey and the silver linings that the crisis made possible. Her name is Nina Meehan. Greetings and welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. I'm your host, Joan Gary, founder of the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, where we help smaller nonprofits thrive. I'm also a strategic advisor for executive directors and boards of larger nonprofits. I'm a frequent keynote speaker, a blogger, and an author on all things leadership and management. You can learn more at joangary.com. I think of myself as a woman with a mission to fuel the leadership of the nonprofit sector. My goal with each episode is to dig deep into an issue I know that nonprofit leaders are grappling with by finding just the right person to offer you advice and insights today is no exception. Nina inspired the broader community as a skilled theater producer. She's an award-winning director, dedicated arts educator with expertise in youth development. Nina's award-winning theatrical work for young people as CEO and founder of Bay Area Children's Theater has reached more than a million kids and adults and has toured nationally and internationally. And as president of the board of directors of TYA USA, the National Organization of Theaters for Young Audiences, she actively engages in outreach and advocacy on behalf of the profession and all the issues that it embraces. Nina, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's really a delight to see you and so thrilled to be on the podcast. I'm so happy to have you. This was supposed to have happened a year and a half ago. I'm so glad that it finally came together. 
It sure was. Yes, I know. We had this all scheduled for March 2020. That's that right. Things changed, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, and it was actually your idea. You said, you know, the world is in such peril. I don't think now's the time to talk about how wonderfully I bounced back. And I think that was a good call. Um, <laughs> yes, I think it was a crazy time for pretty sure much everybody. Was. Nina, tell us a little bit about your origin story. Sure. Um, so I started uh, my nonprofit organization, Bay Area Children's Theater, at this point, 18 years ago. Uh, it was me and four friends with an idea and 250 bucks. Each of us put in $50 and sat around and dreamed for six months and then made a show happen. And we were really excited for our very first show when there were more people in the audience than there were on stage. That was <laughs> was a big moment for us. Um, and then from there, you know, we just built slowly but surely based on the demand from our community. People said to us by buying tickets, by signing up for our classes, by donating by becoming volunteers, we value what you're doing. And the demand increased and we were able to grow. We started a national tour. We toured internationally, as you said. Um, and you know, by the time a year and a, a year and a, a few months ago hit, we were actually um, reaching about 125,000 people per year. Wow. And um, you know, we had a, a huge footprint in the Bay Area. If you were a parent of a child between the ages of, you know, two and 10, you knew what Bay Area Children's Theater was <laughs> and is. And, um, you know, it was each each step of the way, I can tell you, you know, there's learning at every phase. Um, but I am a fortunate person in that, you know, I'm a founder and I've had the opportunity to do basically every job in the company, like many founders do and have, yeah. but I've also had really wonderful advisors and coaches and help like Joan, who have helped me grow as the organization has grown. Well, that story was the case study for our leadership lab, our nonprofit leadership lab a couple of years ago. We, uh, we did a whole thing uh, surrounding how uh, your focus on some of what we were calling the big rocks actually helped you to get your life back, remember? Absolutely. Um, it was so interesting to reflect on that experience because when I first started working with Joan, I mean, my very first interaction with her was one hour long phone call, which, you know, she doesn't do those anymore. No, she doesn't. Do, called, we used to call them one off coaching. She doesn't do those anymore. One off coachings. That's right. And she helped me just work through a, what at the time was a, a uh, seemed like a very large issue, but the way she helped me see it, I was like, oh, actually, this is a very small issue. And I, I actually, I just need to trust my gut on this one. And then a few months went by and I had a fortunate uh, experience with a really brilliant board member who looked at me and said, Nina, I've been in the corporate world my entire life. There is not a CEO alive that does not have a coach. You deserve to be working with a coach. God, that's so awesome. And I, that's how I ended up working with Joan. And I do, you know, the, those big rocks, I remember putting together just goals for working with Joan and what that would look like. And some of them were deeply personal. I mean, honestly, 
I want to get to yoga three times a week was on that list. Yeah. But it was also, I want to work more effectively with my board of directors. Right. I want to um, figure out how to restructure my internal organization so that I don't feel like I have to have my hands in everything. So it was these very, this very interesting, big, big picture and very small all at the same time. And working through those things over, I mean, if this was, I guess, four years ago yeah, now, was, you know, yeah. working through those things and sort of slowly, but surely um, a lot of those big rocks really did settle in a beautiful way. My relationship with my board of directors and understanding how to work with that incredible group of humans who were all volunteering their time. Right. I, 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 you know, learning how to have that support system work for you effectively and work for the organization and have, and vice versa, that's, that's a huge curve and figuring those things out and finding the confidence that everything would be okay if I started to release things and take care of myself and that actually taking care of myself is better for the organization. Yeah taking that time. Yeah. So there were a lot of things that um, we talked about in that, in that really fun sort of retrospective that we did that were, that have really um, been cornerstones to my life in the last few years. Yeah. I, I find, and you know, I hear this a lot when I'm listening to folks, because I usually debrief with folks that Joan um, coaches, and I hear this a lot. Sometimes it's, first of all, giving yourself permission to do what you need to do to be, you know, a whole a whole human being, not just someone who's, you know, working constantly. But um, I like even me, Joan coaches me all the time. I'm, I'm taking a mandatory vacation in June. <laughs> she wants me the yes. heck out. She said, you're, you're done. Like, I don't want to hear from you. Disappear. Um, and these things do shift. The, your focus because you come back, you know, rejuvenated, regenerated. I, I remember that when I started talking to you again, the picture that you actually did not want me to post on Instagram because you felt like it was tactless at that point in time when COVID was hitting and everything was crazy was you doing a headstand in the water? Like, what was that? Like, <laughs> It was this. Um, yes, I have. Do you remember? Up stand up. Yes. Oh, yeah. Stand up paddleboard yoga. I was like, what um, the heck so is she doing? It was wild. I was like, wow. Not only did she find time to do, you know, yoga, but this is incredible. <laughs> You're pretty versatile and having a fun time. You know, and I think I, I just I want to really lift up what you just said, having a fun time and how important that is even yeah. for those of us who are executive directors. I mean, it's so easy. And clearly during a global pandemic, right? it was not easy to find fun. I mean, let's be real. It's been a year and yeah. none of us have experienced much that in the way of fun. But prior to that, I was really working in my work as an artist. I cultivate play. I cultivate creativity. Right. I cultivate imagination. I, you know, those are all, those are, that's my, my lifeblood. And yet I wasn't doing that for myself. Right. So that particular picture, yes, it was stand up paddleboard yoga in the middle of a lake in Wisconsin when I was on wow. vacation visiting some family. And, um, you know, those kinds of things of just allowing myself the opportunity to embrace that world of play has been so, so critical. 
Um, and, and the more that I do that, the more that that value is reflected in the organization, the easier that is for it to be in the work. Right. Yeah. I, I remember Joan talking about how shifting your staff structure was giving you time to operate, what she likes to call it, a higher altitude. She said you were operating like a leader in the arts in the Bay Area. That must have felt pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, I mean, the it's it's interesting to how that something as, you know, as nuts and bolts as staff structure, right, which sounds for those of us that are like big picture picture vision people, and we're like, oh, we're just going to create a, an amazing thing for the world, you know, focusing on okay, what's the scaffolding? Yeah. Great. What's the framework? How if are that's the scaffolding, yeah. how are we getting to a place where my focus can be external, my focus can be big picture, and how are we building backwards to make sure that the foundation is there? And then, you know, having that army of the engaged, which is outside stakeholders, internal stakeholders, board members, audience members, kids in our classes, all volunteers, people literally across the country who are supporting our work, yeah. how do we make sure that that is a part of the scaffold? Because it can't be isolated and can't be in its own little silo. Right. And you've even embraced the lingo, army of the engaged. Uh, oh, that's yeah. exactly that's a, totally what it's a Joanism. That's a total Joanism. <laughs> so anyway, so you had a handle on it. We're talking in 2019. We're like, way to go. This is great. Everything's going so well. You're, come on the podcast, tell everybody your great story. And then all of a sudden theaters are like shut down. They go black. We even canceled our discussion. So then what happened? How long were your lights out? You're listening to Nonprofits Are Messy. Thank you for joining me today. In case you haven't picked up my latest book, during COVID lockdown, I took time from Netflix binging to rewrite my first edition of Joan Gary's Guide to Nonprofit Leadership. I wanted to make sure that board and staff leaders had a new guide to help them to navigate a very different world, one where old rules don't apply and some new rules will be critical to thriving. This version is in paperback and you can learn more about it at book.joangary.com. And now back to the podcast. I mean, they're still out. So, I mean, in, at least here in California, this isn't the case with all of my colleagues across the country, but here in California, we are still not reopened. So um, and our, even outdoor theater, have you guys been like making any adjustments or? So um, we will start outdoor theater this summer, which okay. we're very excited about. But the industry has been completely shut yeah. for over a year. Um, and that and for us, you know, we, we shifted to online. You know, there's all of those things happened. But that moment when it became really clear, one of the things I think is so interesting about how COVID affected different sectors is it, it was so vastly different. You know, those folks who are listening, um, who were our nonprofit leaders who are in charge of food banks, you know, I mean, I can't, what, what those, those folks have been so important and so critical and didn't take a day off. Right. I mean, no, nothing changed for them. Or, Except and, and it, it got harder. It got harder it got and more harder. intense exactly. and more people needing. And oh, gosh, I know because we have some yes. local food banks like Tony's Kitchen. I talked to them throughout the pandemic and it was like, you know, they were like first responders, so to speak. Exactly. Well, those of us in the arts were on the flip side of that, where suddenly we're like, uh, we can't, can't do 
anything that we are traditionally trained to do. Well, that's the key, right? Not what you're traditionally (laughs) trained to do. However, it sounds like you took that, uh, that inability to do the usual things and took it as an opportunity to rebuild certain areas and come back stronger. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So I will say, I mean, the the first initial shutdown was probably the hardest and scariest thing I have ever been through as yeah. a leader, um, as, a, as a nonprofit leader, an arts leader. You know, those of us who have who have been in this ED position, we all know what it feels like to be up at night sweating. Am I going to make payroll? Right. Can I can I support my people? And to suddenly realize, no, I can't. We have no revenue was something that I've just, I mean, it was, it was truly facing my biggest fear and, and, and it was so hard and I am so grateful for my board of directors. I think you up until then, like I knew what a board was for in theory, right? But in those few weeks when we were having at first, you know, in-person meetings, because remember when we did that? Right. Um, <laughs> I do, barely, but when, yeah. And then we shifted to Zoom and I had some key advisors who, without their guidance, I am not sure that my organization would be alive today oh, that's because so they had the experience, they had that high level perspective where it wasn't. You know, I was so emotional mm-hmm. and I'm glad I was emotional. That's our humanity. We right. have to have that. Sure. But having some folks who had a slight remove from the day to day who could look at me and say, Nina, you've got to make sure you're saving your cash right now. That's hard. Yeah. But it's so important. So that was, I think, the first thing that um, in the world of sort of pivot, pivot, pivot was suddenly recognizing, oh, my board, which has always been important, is not important. They are vital right. right now. And then, so there's sort of two different categories of things that happened. Um, the first is sort of on the programming side. When you can't do live theater and you can't gather, we started by moving online, looking around, saying, okay, what is all, what else is everybody doing? What do our families need? And this is where the fact that I'm a mom of three actually became really helpful because I was able to reflect to my staff, most of whom have either babies or no kids right now. Um, So guys, this whole homeschool thing, this is really a nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I'm so glad I'm an older mom at this point. I don't know what I would have done, honestly. So we created these little, um, they were sort of um, online video creative drama lessons that were in character and story-based and there was a follow-up activity and we released them to parents and also to teachers and we got so many response so much response from kindergarten preschool and first grade teachers saying i'm so grateful that we have creativity corner i'm using it as part of my online lesson because of course teachers i mean talk about a pivot asking teachers to literally re relearn doesn't even start to describe what these what those amazing incredible teachers did so anything we could do to support teachers and parents in that moment that's what we were doing sure and that was like our first you know right out of the gate okay we got to do something 
but slowly, and I'm going to, I want to, I want to emphasize that word because it has been a slow process. We started to see, and I started to understand and realize that this is a horrible situation. And my heart is heavy for all of the artists and all of the folks who, who were out of work and all of those things. But we had an opportunity, an opportunity that I think most folks never get, which is to truly stop, look at what you had been doing, talk about it, think about it, and look to build, to re-emerge stronger and better. Right. Not never knowing exactly when re-emergence was going to happen, if going back to normal was actually normal as we knew it. So there had to be not only modifications, but you were dancing around the whole time, not knowing exactly what you were prepping for. Absolutely. I mean, you know, talk about the importance of a yoga practice. <laughs> um, <laughs> I really have to start the, doing yoga. <laughs> in the world of, you know, just sitting in the unknown. Yeah. And leadership in the unknown. We as leaders, we be, we're really good at looking ahead and predicting the future. I mean, it's one of it's one of our superpowers. Mm-hmm. But one of the things we learned through this whole process is that you actually can't control anything. What you have is the right now. You can make plan A, B, C, Q, and R. But you're probably going to end up in plan J. Yeah, it's a very Buddhist kind of perspective. Like, it's the here and it now. Is. That's all you can count on. What can we do in the here and now? Yeah. So as the months wore on, on that programming side, um, uh, we did something. I created a, a conglomerate, a producing partnership of 41 theater companies across the theater. Oh, my goodness. The That's amazing. That created a show called A Kid's Play About Racism that the amazing Kalia Davis, who is now our artistic director, uh, created, she had directed and adapted. So we had, now this has never happened in the history of theater where 41 theaters worked in partnership to produce one piece of work. So that is again, silver lining, right? In normal times, like the biggest co-commission I'd ever worked on, and at that time it seemed absurd, was seven theaters. And here I am typing away at all my friends across the country being like, okay, guys, we have an opportunity. Our kids need something. I have an amazing artist. We have an incredible book based on, this was based on Jelani Memory's book. Right. Let's all work together. So we had Seattle Children's Theater and Alliance Theater um, as, as, as co-lead producers. We had actors, here's my favorite part. We had actors from Hawaii to Maine. So when we, so when they were rescheduling wow, rehearsals. Wow, even with the time difference, that even just that. Holy cow. Yeah. And you're doing all so, this, wait, while you also still have, I mean, your kids are still young, right? So weren't you like- yeah. So oh, I, God. yes, we're, we're doing all this. So, you know, again, in the world of what's something I learned using every moment of this really tough time as a moment of learning. This is how I would say, you know, my senior leadership team is stronger right now mm-hmm. than it has ever been. Why? 
because I went through a number of months where I could barely talk because I had three children constantly yes. coming. And I was like, I love you children, but I'm trying to work, but what's happening, oh right? God. So learning to let that go and say, okay, you guys have this. I'm doing my best here, but I got, I got a five-year-old who really needs a grilled cheese sandwich right now. <laughs> yeah, no, that's it. I mean, the dog's barking the whole nine yards before it was such a taboo. Oh my God, I'm working from home. Is there going to be a noise? And, and now it's just like, th- this is just the way it goes. And it's become so much more normalized, which it should have been the whole time. So actually that, that brings me to my next question, like to talk about things that should have happened. Like for example, cleaning the subway <laughs> instead of waiting for a deadly pandemic, we now clean the subway or the airplanes amazing. or whatever, what have you. Isn't it amazing? Um, so w- some of these things that you did then uh, are probably going to continue post-lockdown. Or are you like just ready to flip that switch, go back to normal, to go back to what you were doing before? Or do you feel like you're taking some of these, you know, some of these lessons learned or this experience had into the future, whether or not, you know, masks are involved? I think we there's a lot that we've learned. Yeah. Um the first, you know, on that programmatic side. So yeah. coming out of a kid's play about racism, mostly, honestly, by watching my own kids and what they needed, I went to my team and we created a a whole series of audio musicals where it, they were interactive audio musicals and with an accompanying subscription box. So you mailed the box and the kids got all the stuff and then they listened to an adventure. Oh, that's so cute. And could act it out right there in their living room. So we now have this skill set of, we know how to make audio subscription boxes, obviously, because, you know, doesn't every theater company know how to do that? But as we're dreaming about our reemergence, we're like, hey, what happens if we start creating amazing original scripts that a family can come and see a show and then they can go home and extend the experience of the show. I love that. Through the audio musical experience, because we have the skill set now to do that. So there are things like that, that, you know, how we're using online communication, how we're using our social media, how we're talking about uh, uh, really important social justice issues within our organization and to our community, these are things that I really believe the fact that we have had time to sculpt those skill sets, they will 100% inform our work moving forward. So that's like yeah. on the programmatic side. And then I, you know, talking to my staff, my staff really loves a hybrid environment. Yeah, we are. We're planning to do a a podcast on how to get back to in person. But you know, it's not just how, but do we want to? Like, do we want to stay hybrid? What like what works for everyone in a way that we're, you know, we're getting a piece of each. We're getting each other's company, but we're also allowing people to have a work life balance. You know, and yes. that's and and now we we have a year worth of proving that. People not only work hard, they may even work harder because they have that flexibility. They're not sitting on a train for an hour or two. So anyway, right. I digress. No, and that's, I mean, that, and I think the other um, part of that is just thinking about the work we do, you know, collaborators. So we, right now, we're, we're currently um, dreaming up a, a new show 
with an artist who we know and love who used to live in the Bay Area and now lives in Iowa. And it doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter. That's so awesome. And and things, you know, things like that that just open doors. Yeah. The the gifts of COVID, again, not to say no, it, that right. anything has been good, but finding those silver linings. And I think, you know, just speaking as a mom, mm-hmm. I think the f- that while I am deeply grateful that my children are in school right now, <laughs> May 18th, 2021, um, <laughs> but having flexibility, I mean, this is something that I've always brought to my company, but I think because I'm a mom and a leader, this was just something that came very obviously to me was like, you have to have flexibility because if it's Halloween, you need to be able to leave and go to the Halloween parade. I mean, you really do. <laughs> you really do. And there's so many organizations out there that just didn't have that understanding. And I completely get it because if that's not your lived experience, yeah. why in the universe would you know that? Mm-hmm. So having, you know, integrating more flexibility listening to the needs of our staff in a totally new and different way. Yeah. Um, we're also, you know, the opportunity to integrate a lot more um, collaboration and um, more inclusive decision-making. Yeah. These have all been a part of the conversation this year in yeah. a really amazing way. And I really hope that all of those things across all sectors yeah. can continue yeah, after I, COVID. I would imagine that in, in households where only one of the parent wor- parents work, this has to have been an opportunity for whoever the stay-at-home parent was to get a break, whoever the working parent was to get more of their kids. My dog is never, ever going to let me go to a full-time job again. Leaving, I mean, Joan <laughs> lets me bring him to the office, so that's okay. But um, but no, our, our pets, our kids, <laughs> like our life has, has changed. And we need to look at that. I tell my daughter, who's 14 all the time, and, you know, and she's she's just moaning about, what if I, I've lost my eighth grade and part of my seventh grade? I've lost it. But I just really keep preaching what we have gained, the the precious dinner together every single day. Like there are really silver linings. Yeah, there really are. And as we start to reemerge, I'm very aware that the fundamental family structure and family, the way families organize their lives has completely shifted. So as a nonprofit leader that's there to serve kids and serve families and serve teachers and schools, I have to be thinking ahead, okay, it's not like we're just snapping our fingers and things are going to go back, quote unquote, normal. Because your daughter's right. She did lose eighth grade. She She, may have gained other things. Like four inches. (laughs) Oh my gosh, my son, my 13-year-old, started the pandemic at my ear and is now a solid six inches taller than me. It's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, but what does she need as a freshman now that we would never have guessed she was going to need? What is, you know, as I'm looking at, you know, at what, at the, the, the makeup of my board, you know, recruiting new board members, thinking about mental health professionals. Oh my God. Because yes, that's, Something that, you know, we've always been aware of the importance of mental health, but I don't think the 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 importance of mental health for a six and seven-year-old has ever been as acute as it is right yeah. now. So having the voices in the room 
that can help me and the organization respond to the specifics of the needs moving forward is going to be absolutely critical. So, yeah. So I guess as we start thinking about wrapping up, I'd love to hear not only from these opportunities, but some of the challenges you see ahead, particularly in the arts industry, because, you know, there are people who, I don't know, I am not steeped in it, but I'm sure there are people who've lost income for a long time. There are people who've changed professions, who have retired as opposed to waiting for this to come back, you know, or just changed completely. So I'd like to hear a little bit about the challenges or opportunities, if you if you wish to tell me a little bit more about that. And then, uh, you know, if you have any advice for folks, leaders who are in your industry and really struggling to to come back at it. I think in terms of challenges, everything you just said is true. In the arts, we are, for the, even for those folks who have been able to open, we are still open in such a tiny fraction of a way than we have ever been. So any kind of earned income is just gone. Right. Um, and contributed income is really hard when you are trying to raise money based on something that's where somebody can't even walk in and be inspired. Right. right. So the biggest challenge I'm seeing moving forward for the art sector as a whole is figuring out what does the new financial model look like? Mm-hmm. And not just what does the new financial model look like, but the world has changed in a lot of ways and in very important ways. And there has been an incredible wake up call to those of us who are white leaders. And we have to be looking at moving forward with anti-racism as a key part of our culture. So how do we make choices that are within lines of anti-oppression, anti-racism, and are simultaneously going to be making our bottom line strong moving forward when we've had over a year with basically no income. So, I mean, that's a, those are big challenges and they will require constant innovation and pivoting just like we've been doing. That's not going to change. Right. Absolutely. So, and um, then in terms of, of, uh, sorry, just in no, terms no. of opportunities, yes. I actually think the challenges are the same as the opportunities. I really do. I think the, some the, degree. the, the opportunity to reinvent our business models, the opportunity to say, okay, everything we thought we knew has exploded. We got to rebuild and rethink. It's scary. And it puts us, it makes those of us who are leaders feel really vulnerable. But if we can really sit in that vulnerability and and accept ourselves for being scared and say, this is the right thing to do, yeah. let's talk, let's figure it out, and there ho- is enormous opportunities. Right. And hopefully, you know, uh, if, if folks didn't do the work that they needed to do when you did, like building that co-pilot relationship and engaging their army of, uh, of folks who are their ambassadors. If they haven't done that, then now is the time to do that because you really need to go in this together. And more than ever, we realize even the impact of, you know, one person wearing a mask previously so that two people don't get sick, uh, you know, vaccinations being available in the United States are being sent out to, you know, overseas now because they don't have enough. We are in this together. And we only stand to gain by us as moms and leaders and, you know, workers 
building our own life up, whether it's through your yoga practice or whatever else, but everything we do, the notion that we're in it together, that this is a community, that this that's stronger, we lead better, I think is definitely something that's a silver lining. So I guess as I close, do you have any advice or anything else you want to say before I say goodbye? And I hope it won't be as long until I see you again as it was this time. Um, yeah. I, in terms of advice, I think it's, you know, just knowing that there's a lot of nonprofit leaders and non folks who work in the nonprofit sector who listen, saying thank you, honestly, to the folks who have worked so hard. Yeah. I think the nonprofit sector has been more vital than it ever has been and will continue to be more vital. And it is a hard job to ask people to either continue what they've already been doing, but do it totally different or do something completely different. And I hope that my, my hope, my hope for the leaders who are listening is that people are taking time to heal themselves, to help themselves, to thank themselves and to really just as I am so excited for my theater and theater across the country to reemerge that we as leaders give ourselves time to reemerge and see the world with optimism because it's the optimism that is what propels the nonprofit sector always and that has, is always will so be. important absolutely i cannot think of a better way to end this conversation uh, on such a wonderful note. And thank you for allowing me to be the alternative host today. Um, Joan would have loved to be I'm here, but she'll I'm thrilled to have you. been able to chat with you. Thank you. I appreciate your time. And uh, I hope you have a wonderful week. And spring is here, even in the Northeast. We're just so delighted with the sunny weather. So here's to staying healthy. Thanks for being on the show today. Thank you. Bye, Nina. Thanks so much for spending time with me today. I hope you found the conversation valuable as you navigate the messy world of nonprofits. Check out all my other resources at joangary.com. Hope you find them helpful too. Lastly, thank you for the work you do to repair the world in ways large and small. I'll see you next time.